This is Dr. Saba Marouf, and you are listening to Unsung Heroes, uncovering stories of inspiration and action here on Podcast Detroit. Reading books of old, the legends and the myths, Achilles and his gold, Achilles and his gifts, Spider-Man's control, and Batman with his fist. Welcome back to Unsung Heroes, stories to inspire here on the Podcast Detroit Network. I'm your host, Dr. Saba Maruf, and I'm really happy to have you here as a listener. Um, Here we are opening up season two, and I want to welcome back our regular and loyal listeners and welcome our new listeners. On this show, we showcase inspirational individuals making an impact in unique ways. We aim to highlight narratives and share journeys in an effort to inspire you. We've shared stories of strength and resilience and narratives of people following their passion and true calling in life. And you can check out all of our past previous episodes on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and of course, www.podcastdetroit.com. And um, and we have fun doing it too. Um, here with me in the studio is my co-host, Calvin Moore. Hey, everybody. Hi, Calvin. And um, also helping us here is our sound engineer, Jess. Hello. So it's nice. We um, took a little bit of a break in the summer and we're back and we're ready to go. I'm really excited. We have an awesome lineup of um, writers, activists, and, you know, just um, ordinary pe- people that would call themselves ordinary people doing really neat things, bringing people together in different ways. So I'm really excited um, for our lineup um, for this fall and we're continuing to build on that. And also, um, you know, I'd love to hear from you as a listener too. If you can, we have a Facebook page. Um, would love to hear from you. You can leave a review on um, on iTunes. Um, always looking out for those reviews, and um, send us a message on the Facebook page, and we'd love to read um, your review on air as well. Um, so today, I am very humbled and honored. Um, our uh, our guest and our unsung hero of the day is Dr. Uzma Yunus, and we actually have never met. IRL in real life, uh, but um, she is a fellow colleague, um, a fellow physician mom, and I've been reading about her experiences, um, her blog, um, her writings, and, um, and this is actually the first time I'm hearing her voice and we're connecting um, in this uh, kind of setting, but uh, again, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really excited to share uh, her journey and her story and very humbled because she's really, truly a remarkable woman. So welcome, Uzma. Thank you so much for being here on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity to connect with other people and have a chance to speak with you in real life, too. Oh, yes, oh, I know. Now we wonderful. have to do face-to-face, but one, one of these days. Um, but just as a int- short introduction, um, Dr. Uzma Yunus is um, originally from Pakistan, where she grew up in, in Karachi, and she went to medical school there. And then she came to the U.S. for residency in the late 90s and completed her training in psychiatry. So she's also a colleague um, uh, in psychiatry with me, um, a fellow psychiatrist, I should say. She completed her training in Chicago, and um, she had a focus on women's mental health, addiction, and she did a fellowship um, where she trained at the Psychoanalytic Institute. Um, now, in 2013... She was diagnosed with uh, stage three breast cancer, and um, and then uh, in February 2016, earlier this year, um, 
had a recurrence with metastatic uh, breast cancer, given the diagnosis of metastatic breast cancer. And she has been very open and candid and honest um, about her journey with um, with um, living and trying to thrive with this diagnosis. Uh, she's been blogging since 2013, and her blog is called Left Boob Gone Rogue. And she's a blogger at Huffington Post. She's Her work has been featured in the New York Times and other publications um, that discuss um, patients and cancer. And she even interviewed on... Um, and the Chicago Tonight Show three weeks ago. She's involved with the Ford Warriors in Pink as their model of courage, giving back good days to other survivors. Her, pra- her passion is really helping other survivors one-to-one through social media and through her writing, um, as well as improving awareness for other ex- um, physicians uh, about their experiences with cancer. Um, on her blog, she describes her experience and writes, um, this is a quote from her blog, that this is an illness that made me reach out into the depth of my soul and draw upon every ounce of professional skill, knowledge, and wisdom. My story oscillates between a patient doctor and a doctor patient, two realms that are separated by blurry lines. With the cancer experience, I feel more authentic as a doctor, more graceful as a patient. I heal my patients, and in turn, they heal me in a cycle of mutual connection and resilience. And this is my story. So again, um, Ozma, Dr. Yunus, I am I'm so I'm so humbled um, that you've given up your time and your and you know your energy. I mean you're going you're going through a lot right now. So I really appreciate um, the chance to be able to share your story and again to to help others that are kind of going through the similar journey, other women, um, other physicians, and um, you know just other other people. So thank you again for being here. So, thank you, thank you so much for a wonderful introduction. I appreciate it. So, tell us a little bit, um, you know, about yourself and your life before your diagnosis, before um, you know the word cancer. I guess was part of your life. Sure. Um, so, as you mentioned, I'm originally from Pakistan, and I, um, as a child, you know, I was a bright child, and um, you know, thought a little precocious, you might say, you know, in terms of introspection and interest in other people. And, um, and then I, um, finished college and then got into medical school. And, uh, it was something that I, um, was very, um, happy to be receiving medical training. Then I get graduated from med school in 1995. And then it, was through medical training that I got very interested in listening to other people and their stories. And there's no specialty better than psychiatry um, to do that. Um, So storytelling and story listening, I think, is something that has intrigued me through my entire life and and through my career. Um, And then in my final year of med school, I, um, believe it or not, debated but between becoming a radiologist, which really has minimal contact with patients and a psychiatrist. So I um, did electives in in both of those specialties. And uh, the feedback was like, you know, you are a natural in talking to patients. I think you should pursue psychiatry. And that was my conclusion too. And then I wanted good training. So then the next stop would be coming to the U.S. uh, for my residency training, which in 1997, I arrived in Chicago with two suitcases and made Chicago my home. For the next four years, 
Um, I chose U of I, University of Illinois, Chicago, as a program primarily because they had a really well-developed women's mental health program. And I was very interested in reproductive issues and issues specific to women as relates to their mental health. So um, I finished my training. I then did some extra training in addictions. And in that, too, I was very interested in in uh, focusing on uh, addictions in women and how the relationship of trauma um, in women with addiction. So I did some work in that, and then I got married. I moved to northern Wisconsin, lived there in a very small town for six years, which was another very fascinating um, experience in terms of experiencing rural America and having a practice of 500 patients, and you just never knew what walked through your door, what kind of patient or what kind of problem. So um, I did that. And then when I had my first child, um, a year after that, we decided to come back to the um, Chicago area. And then I was practicing with the chronically, persistently mentally ill, severely mentally ill patients. And uh, that was another different and new experience um, for me. I mean, in psychiatry, you deal with chronic illness anyways, but this was a special group in terms of what all they had gone through um, with their mental health um, and, and treatment um, because of the severity of illness that they, they, they were experiencing. So I was doing that work um, in 2013 when I got diagnosed with breast cancer and uh, I went through all the recommended treatments, which included having a mastectomy. Then I got 16 cycles of chemotherapy, then 33 sessions of radiation. Then I was on hormonal treatment and pretty much I did what I could um, in terms of what was recommended. And then um, in February on a routine scan, um, actually, it was uh, the scan was meant for my right breast. Um, the scan actually picked up the edge of the liver, the breast MRI, and they saw some spots there. So I wasn't really symptomatic. I was feeling pretty good. Um, but they visualized some spots in the liver, and then um, they biopsied it, and it was confirmed that the cancer had come back, and not only come back, it was metastatic this time, meaning it has moved from the breast onwards to another organ in my body, uh, namely my liver. Um, so I got started again on more treatment and, um, I have been doing treatment since then. So, um, it's about a year and a half almost into, uh, treatments for metastatic cancer. And, um, it's hard. I will not sugarcoat it. It's difficult, but at the same time, it's certainly something that's doable while maintaining the quality of life. So, so let's that's talk, where I am. Let's talk a little bit about um, that side of things, it, it being hard. You know, so now you are a patient. You're on the receiving end of medical care. Uh, how, did, how did that, but, but you're still a doctor. It's not like all of your learning went away. It's not like uh, all of your right. experiences went away. So... Right. Now you're on the receiving end of care. How did how did that impact, or how does that impact you as as a physician when when you're practicing? It's it's eye opening. It's um it's something that made me reflect a lot as a patient and as a physician, both and you know as 
as, as uh, Saba mentioned, um, that I have been blogging about it. Um, these are things that make a person think much more deeply into what you're doing. I mean, you, uh, once you're diagnosed with cancer, you know, it's a cliche, but your whole world is turned upside down and there are no two things about it. It's, it's, it's a, it's a change of, of enormous proportion. And, um, the more I was a patient, the more I realized that, um, in terms of understanding the patient and what they go through, um, physicians still, um, need to learn a lot. And, and I mean, I, I practice psychiatry for 20 years almost. And, um, we are trained specially in empathy and trying to put ourselves in the patient's shoes. But, you know, actually being a chronic patient is um, understanding illness and the disability that it brings and the incapacitation that it brings at such a visceral level that it was um, it was something that still, you know, I felt like I had a lot to learn and understand what my patients um, went through. Um, and you know, the most important thing, and, and, and I feel proud because my patients have said that in as many words, but the dignity of the patient. And there's so many times when you, as a patient feel completely out of control and you don't have a say in things, you just sit there and wait and go get your scan and, you know, somebody's running late or somebody, you know, doesn't have empathy in their heart that day and will end up saying something that will ruin your entire day because they were so insensitive. So there, there's so many points and um, stages at which the patient experience can be improved and I believe should be improved. Um, but medicine is changing and it's becoming more rushed and there are more pressure on doctors and pretty much all professionals involved. So, um, so it was getting into that, that world of experiencing medicine as a patient. I mean, we all have doctors, right? All doctors have their annual exam and you briefly meet, meet with your internist and your primary care for maybe a half an hour to an hour once a year, you know, for, for generally healthy people who don't have chronic illnesses. But once you are diagnosed with any kind of chronic illness, the idea of, you know, going back and being the patient and, and loss of control really, because, you know, um, once you have a chronic illness, it's something that um, you have no control over. And as, as a physician, you know, of course, you're used to calling the shots and telling other people what to do. Um, so that also requires a change in, in mindset and, and uh, sort of softening up in that whole area of being in charge and being in control. So um, tell us a little bit about the experience of blogging, how you decided to start it. Um, how that experience has been for you. And then also, um, if you can tell us a little bit about the book that you're writing and, you know, how that, how that's been for you, how that's helped you and, and why you decided to write a book. Um, so initially, um, the blogging started as just a way to inform other people. You know, of course, when I was diagnosed, I had friends and family and um, well-wishers and work and everybody wanted to know what was going on and um, and it's exhausting because um, I 
I was newly diagnosed, I was just coping with that news. And then there's this influx of phone calls and messages and, you know, um, there are messages of support, but at the same time, you get tired of telling your story like the 13th time that, you know, you were diagnosed and this happened and have a biopsy and blah, blah, blah. So, um, so I initially started as a way of um, just informing some of my friends and family that this was going on. Um, but the way that I started to describe what I was going through um, had a lot to do with what I have been in my life as a physician and a psychiatrist. And um, and uh, some of my friends, when they read my writing, they really encouraged me to blog about it. They said, you know, um, there are other people who would like to read this because there is something that you capture in your words that is um, that resonates with people at a very emotional level. Um, so I got a lot of encouragement. Um, I have a friend, she's a cardiologist in Texas, Hina. She was the first one that just sort of latched onto my blogs and started to share. And, and my husband, he has always supported me and he had always said that, you know, there's at least one book in you and he had encouraged me to write, but I never really thought that I could write and I could write well enough that people would actually be interested in what I have to say. And then the cancer ended up being that final push to articulate my thoughts and feelings and reflections and what I've learned um, through my life. So the blog ended up taking a life of its own and um, people started to share my writings and then I started to write some more. And of course, one other angle, as you're familiar with too, is um, journaling. Um, and it was like it became my online journal talking about my feelings and and um, other survivors had interest in knowing how a physician copes with a diagnosis like that. So there was this angle to it that I um, started to write about and, and pretty soon it just became popular and then I started to share it in the physician's mom group and then I got really good feedback from my peers and a lot of support and uh, the feedback I got from other physicians was also, well, you know, what you wrote really helped me understand what my patients go through. So I ended up developing a voice on behalf of other survivors, as well as having connection to the physician community. That was um, just terrific. And uh, the book, basically, you know, some of it is just people demand that I write a book because they really want to read more about um, my history. So I'm putting together, um, I'm writing a book. It's, uh, some of it are pieces from my blogs and some of it is things that I have not shared um, online um, that I'm writing about. And um, at the, I want to get the message across that um, cancer is something that a person can deal with, that it's a challenge, but then, you know, whose life is easy anyways. Everybody has challenges at, at a higher or smaller level. And uh, it's it's ever-changing, and it's important to embrace embrace the change that happens in your life and, 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 uh, move on. So, um, so I'm, I'm excited about that. It's in the final phases of, um, editing and, uh, you know, a couple of chapters that have been hard for me emotionally to write partly because 
writing about it requires going back and getting in touch with some of the feelings that I experienced when I was first diagnosed. So, um, so it's it's uh, challenging, but but I'm very excited. Yeah. So let's talk. It's coming together. Let's, let's talk for a minute about some of those feelings. I mean, you're a psychiatrist. You specialize in 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 women's mental health. I mean, can you talk about the the under recognition of the emotional impact and and the trauma women experience after being diagnosed with breast can- with, with with breast cancer? Absolutely. I think that's something that I really feel passionate about now when I want to talk and improve awareness um, about it because um, when I was diagnosed, um, it, it's it's like a whirlwind of tests and biopsies and scans and you go from one office to the other, you meet the breast surgeon, then the breast surgeon says, well, hey, you, you need to have reconstruction. So you go to the plastic surgeon, then you get routed to the um, medical oncologist and you have an appointment with them. And it's all stuff that comes at you so quickly and you're, you're just barely surviving. Um, it's something that affects a person's sleep, their mood, um, their entire life. And it's very hard, especially the, the initial, the beginning phase is so hard in terms of coming to terms that this has happened and you've got to do the, all these treatments and your life's going to change and you may not be able to practice or work or, you know, whatever the person's situation might be. Um, you know, being a mother to your children, um, all of those things. But there is no one person that sort of carries you emotionally through that experience. So a lot of women connect with other survivors, you know, or their mothers or their sisters or their friends. But in the medical system, I think there's a great deficiency of having um, mental health services for women that get mm-hmm. diagnosed and then going through the treatment. Um, most of the time, it's sort of this, this offer that, oh, we can send you to a psychiatrist or a psychologist um, if you need one. And I, I hate that statement, if you need one. I mean, this is a person that has just been given a life-threatening diagnosis. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Do you think that that person needs help or not? So, you know, a lot of what the cancer narratives are and, and is putting a lot of burden on the patient to beat mm-hmm. cancer, to survive it, that you're going to conquer it. But it's something that's happening to the patient that's beyond their control. They did not bring upon their cancer, and they have very little that they can do to get rid of it. Um, and we put a lot of onus on the patient to... Um, somehow become this warrior and, you know, take their guns or swords or whatever out and fight this disease, which, you know, it's great. We want to inspire somebody that has been diagnosed, but at the same time, we put a lot of burden on the patient. I, I mean, I personally believe being a psychiatrist, being in medicine and having gone through cancer, that every woman or and man who gets diagnosed with breast cancer should get some supportive counseling to make sense of what's going on with them. It is traumatic. It's a trauma um, because, you know, some people get diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer right from the get-go. Their life is at risk. Um, it is a lot of grieving. It is grieving of a body part. It's a betrayal of your own body that you have to cope with. 
Um, it's a lot of sadness. It's anxiety, uh, a fear, a fear of recurrence, which is something all survivors live through constantly. You know, every day where if you have a weird headache, the first thing that crosses your mind is, is it back? You know, that's just something that every survivor lives with. And, and we know that it's possible, like, you know, the, the whole story of Olivia Newton-John and how her, her breast cancer came back 20 years after. So it's, it's, the fear is realistic. It's, um, it constantly changes the survivor and, um, women are left to their own devices to cope with all of that. Um, you know, one of the things that I have written about uh, one of my most popular pieces on, on Huffington Post was titled The Missing Conversation in Pinktober, where in, you know, in October, everybody um, talks about breast cancer awareness, but there's very little conversation about the emotional aspect of, you know, you get cancer, you get all these treatments, you're like the shell of who you used to be having gone through a lot of um, change. How do you put your pieces back together? How do you piece your life together? How do you make sense of what you've gone through? Um, so women then and survivors then come together in groups and, and talk about it. Another big issue is fear of death and dying. And as a culture, we're just not comfortable talking about um, dying and death. And, you know, whenever I know that I want to talk about it, um, most of the time the responses are, oh, you'll get better. You're going to beat this. If, if anyone can beat this, it's going to be you. Well, I really hope that that's true. But at the same time, it's, it's a fear that I live with. And our society is very uncomfortable mm-hmm. um, discussing death and dying. And the idea is that somehow the battle should go on at the last minute. But if you look at research, Physicians, and, and are, if you read articles about it, physicians choose to die very differently than, um, than non-physicians. And a lot of doctors end up giving up um, treatments earlier than people who are not physicians because they realize that now at this point in time, it's okay to let go and take, allow things to take its course. Um, so definitely, I think mental health, um, professionals have a big role to play in uh, caring for um, oncology patients. But right now, that's just something that happens at big medical centers. But, you know, there are a lot of people who don't go to big medical centers or don't have access to those specialized services. And I think as a medical system, we really need to do better at that. Wow, that's um, very powerful, powerful words. And um, I think, I mean, just so many things that you touched upon. Um, as a psychiatrist, I can definitely appreciate that too. And I've had patients um, that were recently, you know, kind of given um, the green light that, okay, everything looks okay. And now they're coming into treatment or uh, while they're going through the treatments. Um, and those are really um, intimate um, conversations. And um, as someone that's providing care, it's I learn so much from those interactions because I can sense um, this strength, but also this shift in this perspective um, that such an individual, you know, has kind of um, developed um, from this experience, from these experiences. So what would you be, what what would be advice that you would give to individuals or family members um, or maybe even friends um, 
that has that know someone that's affected by breast cancer. I mean, as you mentioned, sometimes there can be some discomfort um, in having these kind of conversations. Um, sometimes we don't know what to say. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess yeah. What are, what are what is some advice that you might give to an individual that's um, that's fighting, that's thriving, um, that's trying to deal with this, um, and then also family members and friends and how they can um, support those um, individuals. Right. So, um, so you know, one one thing that I always think about is that you know nobody promised me a comfortable life. You know, it, that's just the reality of life. That everybody is going to deal with a challenge at some point, illness or um, you know trauma of any kind or unexpected things. So, first of all, I think that once a person's diagnosed with with cancer. Um, they need to realize that it's not, they're not unique in suffering. And I think that has really helped me um, deal with my cancer is that I'm not the only one that horrible stuff is happening to. And one one of the books that I used to often read through my treatments is um, Viktor Frankl's book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. And, you know, he was also a psychiatrist, so, you know, somehow his words are more meaningful to me, but um, he was in the Nazi concentration camps, and and, uh, I always thought about that as, like, you know, am I the only one that's suffering here? I mean, are there people not out there without food and clothing and shelter and being robbed of their dignity as people, refugees. And, you know, there's, there's just so much sadness and suffering in the world. So I think changing that perspective about, you know, is suffering is universal. Everybody suffers in some way or the other. So, so, um, you know, my approach was, you know, you know, to, to own this, that this is, owning my cancer, that this is part of my life now. It's not all me, but it's a part of my life and I need to accept it. So first, I think the first most um, important thing is to understanding that, you know, suffering is universal and that we have to gracefully accept how life is changing around us or what's happening to us. So, so, and that requires, but you know, the acceptance doesn't happen overnight. You don't get diagnosed on Saturday and Sunday, you wake up all Zen and Mm -hmm. embracing your suffering. There is a whole process that you go through. And I think for family members and friends, as you asked, I think it's very important for them to allow this person to grieve because it is a loss right? It's a loss and a lifetime of worry, whether you recover from the cancer or it comes back. It's a loss. Your life has changed in a way that it's not going to be exactly the same again. Um, And that requires grief. And grief comes with anger. Grief comes with sadness. Grief comes with anxiety. And it goes in waves. So the person you know, your friend that was diagnosed with cancer, she might be okay for a month and then something might hit her where she starts to grieve um, the loss. So allow the person who's been diagnosed to to say what they're dealing with. And um, culturally, we're just so um, interested in telling the person that you're going to be okay. I, I think that's wonderful. Yes, we should support them, but at the same time, allow them that space that they need to grieve because, you know, I was just talking to a friend and, you know, 
she's dealing with the recurrence and and she's trying hard to be positive, but at the same time, she doesn't want to cry. And I said, well, you know, if you were in a hurricane and you lost your house, um, you have the capacity to buy another one and rebuild it, but would you not grieve for what you lost? So it's natural for a person to grieve the loss. So allow them to be sad, allow them to grieve, but help them out because again, the treatments are long. They, you know, I started my treatments in um, in August. I had my mastectomy, and my radiations ended in April of 2014. So it was almost a year of being a patient and doing appointments. and And people need a lot of support, and they need an understanding. and 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 don't try. And I think that's something that psychiatry has taught me. Like I had this patient who used to come to therapy, but she would never say a word. And I would sit there with her for 45 minutes. She wouldn't say anything and I wouldn't say anything. And I went to my supervisor, like in tears, if this was in my training. And I said, but she doesn't say anything. And he looked at me and he said, Dr. Yunus, there is a reason she's always there for her appointment. Mm. She keeps coming back. So she's getting something that you are giving to her and it's okay if she's not able to articulate it in words. So we, we are very quick to fill silences. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an awkward pause and you know, the, the person that's talking to me always feels compelled to say something positive about whatever. Okay. You'll be better or this will get better. It's okay to have those awkward silences and those conversations just be there for that person, allow them to be, listen to them. Um, you know, not everybody, there's some people who, you know, thrive on denial. There are some people who don't. So um, it's, it is something that um, you have to assess what your family members needs are. Um, it requires not only emotional support, but actual physical support. There are all these appointments, you know, a young mother may need childcare, she may need meals. She may need hands-on help with the um, the household um, because, uh, you know, I mean, breast cancer definitely is more common in, in women than in men. And one of the reasons when I applied for the Ford Warriors in Pink, I'm very honored that they picked me as a model of courage, is because Ford was doing these things for survivors. They were offering free meals to women that were in active treatment. They paired up with cleaning for a reason to provide free cleaning for women that um, were going through treatment. And this year they're giving out um, programs, um, you know, free apps through Headspace for meditation. So those are there. So there's some help, some real help that they need in terms of physical, actual help of being there. And then there's emotional help and uh, both are very critical and very important getting through this experience. That's actually really funny. I mean, uh, I'm thinking of something funny that you're, uh, as you're talking about the importance of silence, um, that's uh, definitely a significant lesson that I learned during my training. Um, And to kind of bring it home, it's kind of interesting. This experience with podcasting, one of the challenges I have is being able to uh, like almost trample on that silence because in radio land you don't like to have these silences and a lot of people will edit go back and edit their podcasts i don't edit them but go back and edit them out so like like sometimes people are done talking and i 
I was like, oh, shoot, I had to say something right now. And it's like I'm almost like untraining myself, whereas I've trained my exactly myself to to savor the silence and to allow that silence to grow. And that silence is so meaningful. And now I'm like, oh, shoot, I got to fill the silence. Yeah, it, it, it's tough because like everything like against my intuition now. Everything you've just said, yeah, is is super heavy. And my my general my general inclination is to like make a joke. Like oh that yeah. you know, like oh shoot we're talking about cancer there's no way to make this funny at all uh, but I I, I I feel you on that Saba where you wanna you wanna fill the the void with words when sometimes uh-huh. words aren't appropriate sometimes mm-hmm. you just need to sit with with your friends in silence but we do uh, we do still have we have a final question though because I I, mm-hmm. I do know that in all this um, you know. Through the, through the trauma, through the emotional turmoil, through having to still live your day-to-day life, um, we still have the regular human um, proud moments, you know, moments mm-hmm. where we feel good about what we've done, what we've accomplished. So in, in, all, of the, in all of what you've done uh, through mm-hmm. uh, going to school and, and getting the, the background that you, that you got to diagnosis and having to deal with that to still having to be a doctor while you have this diagnosis uh, to, to blogging mm-hmm. and the blogging taking off and, and being very popular. What, what is your, what's your, what are, what's your proudest moment or if not, not necessarily your proudest, but what are some of your proudest moments and, and accomplishments uh, here to date? Um, that's very, um, it's a very interesting question. I've, thought about it, you know, of, of what I've done in, in my life and, you know, how, how much more I have, um, to, to, to make a change. So, you know, as a physician, caregiving has always been part of what I did with my life. Um, but after cancer, I felt like I was just in this other realm of caregiving where, you know, I was sort of open to public. Um, in terms of, you know, here I am and I care for you. And I think that that transition for me emotionally was very powerful. And, and, and the, the term that I often use is, you know, I took my healing outside of the office. And I think that that is, is, has been the most wonderful thing for me. Yes, I have a long list of accomplishments and awards and, and you know, and, and they're just that. They're certificates and medals and, and degrees and diplomas. But, you know, now I look back and I find these moments where I've connected with other survivors. For example, last year um, I had... Uh, I was at Northwestern and they were having a breast cancer conference and I was there as a, as a model of courage. And there was this, uh, this Latina woman that, you know, barely spoke any English and, and her son was with her. And I was talking there, I was telling them about the four program because that's where um, we were there for. Um, and she was just newly diagnosed that so she was very lost. And, and I looked at her and I said, you'll be okay. I, you know, I have stage four cancer. I'm here. I'm, I'm doing things. I'm living life. And she wanted to hug me and she just, you know, sort of melted in my arms and I hugged her and she cried. And, you know, those looking back now for me, you know, it's not, the medal for the hundred most talented women in Pakistan. That's not the medal that comes to mind. It doesn't getting into medical school, my medical degree, my board certification, my, you know, award. Those are the things that are there and I'm proud of them. 
But these are the moments that now I look back and I was like, this is what life is. This is what gives me meaning. I, I can't tell you how many um, cards, greeting cards I have gotten from people that I don't know. Um, I've never met them. They have connected me through social media. Um, I started to do this, this um, thing one-on-one through um, Facebook where, you know, some survivor will get in touch with me and say, I'm going through treatment and this is going on with me. And I was like, okay, let's problem solve here. And at one point in time, I had this lady in Spain that I was talking to another lady in Toronto and they're uh, of Pakistani descent. And, and it was their son that used to talk to me about mom's cancer. And I used to guide him like, okay, you, you got to do- ask the doctor these questions, X, Y, Z. I had one lady who um, has had a stroke and then was diagnosed with breast cancer. And she couldn't type. She used to Twitter type. Like, you know, she, there were no pauses in her sentences, no gaps. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, initially it was like, I can't even read what she's writing. But then I, I got accustomed to all the alphabets. And <laughs> it's like talking to my daughter. Sentences. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and um, you know, uh, talking to her and... Um, I get letters from from people that you know somehow connecting with you has helped me. So those are the things that I feel very proud of now. I I I, I feel like okay, I have made a difference, and however long my life is, it it doesn't matter. But you know, I am leaving a, a footprint here that there are people who feel that their life got better because of me. Um, certainly, I have patience, and I I. Um, stopped seeing patients last year because I felt like I did not have the emotional energy to give to my patients the way they deserve it. And, you know, one of my patients was just in tears and he said, you know, Dr. Yus, I don't think I will ever encounter another psychiatrist that treats me with respect as if we are equal. And, you know, that that made me feel great. It was that that felt made me feel extremely proud that, you know, this is about, you know, that, you know, I offered him the same amount of dignity and respect that he deserves. And he felt like an equal to me. Um, so, so those, those are the things that I think back that uh, makes, make me feel very proud and very accomplished is, is making a difference in people's lives. And I've done that in so many ways, but this is this, you know, as a physician that I did that and I got paid for it, but this, this is something that, you know, I get paid in terms of letters and greeting cards and little gifts and notes. And um, that's just so much more meaningful to me at this stage in my life. Wow. Well, I mean, I, I would encourage everybody to um, to check out um, Uzma's uh, blog. It's uh, www.uzmamd.com. And you write very candidly. Um, and, and I think what I found so powerful about it is that in reading your writings and interacting with you, um, you know, on social media is that you almost kind of, um, there's almost a stigma, I would say. I mean, we always talk about the stigma and um, mental illness, and but a stigma of talking about these um, these very raw emotions and feelings and experiences of, of living with cancer. Um, I think that's also why the book, um, When Breath Becomes Air, um, you know, um, 
many people are reading that now and it's a very powerful uh, book as well. Um, we don't get to hear about those experiences, those emotions, those stories. Um, and so I really thank you for sharing that because I think it helps all of us um, to kind of get a glimpse of, of what it's like to live through this experience um, through all the different stages. Um, so thank you. And I, I encourage um, all of our listeners to check out, um, check out your blog. So that's OzmaMD.com. Thank so, you. Thank you. So thank you so much, um, Ozma. We're going to wrap up now. But again, I really appreciate your time, your energy, um, your willingness um, to open yourself up. And, um, and again, you know, it's like you, you kind of in these situations and these kind of experiences you put yourself, it's, it's very vulnerable. I can imagine you're opening yourself, you're putting yourself out there. Um, but it's only through those moments of vulnerability that sometimes I think we can have that sense of, um, connection and accomplishment. Um, and I think I'm sure that I'm imagine your patients, um, are so indebted to you and they're, I'm sure they really miss you and they miss that connection and that, um, dignity that you gave them. Um, and I can definitely sense that yeah. in all the interactions that you have. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me and allowing me the chance to speak about some of these things. And so fascinating because you're talking about vulnerability. And I think last week somebody sent me a note. I have never met this person, but she knows me through social media. And she had written a quote at the end of her note saying, most people believe vulnerability is weakness, but really vulnerability is courage. We mm. must ask ourselves are we willing to show up and be seen? And it's, it's from Brene Brown. Yep. Um, and I think that's, that's where life is. Life is in vulnerability and being yourself and being authentic. And I think that the cancer experience for me was, was freeing in that regard that I allowed myself to um, embrace all aspects of who I am. And my life became uh, much more broader and multidimensional than I had allowed it to be um, when I was a suburban mom and, you know, practicing medicine and, you know, driving my little kids back and forth to school and all that, all that good stuff, which is still part of my life. But, um, but I think it's, um, it's, you know, in so many ways, my life is better. It's more challenging, but it's better. Wow. Well, um, we're all praying for you and, um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to getting an update from you that your book is on its way to getting published. And I'm definitely going to share that, um, with our listeners as well. So thank you again for your time and, um, and good luck with that book. And, uh, thank you for being here and to our listeners, um, please check out, um, again, our previous episodes and leave a review, leave a comment, um, send us a message on Facebook and, um, thanks for being here and we'll be here next time on another Friday and, um, another podcast here on unsung heroes at podcast Detroit.